Welcome to the Factal Forecast, a look at the week's biggest stories and what they mean from the editors at Factal. I'm Jimmy Levis. Today is November 17th, and in this week's forecast, we've got the Black Sea grain deal expiring, a Francophone summit in Tunisia, the start of the World Cup, Russia's President Putin visiting Armenia, and a look at the missile strike in Poland. You can also read about these stories and more in our weekly newsletter you can find a link to in the show notes. The Black Sea Green Deal between Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, and the UN is set to expire on Saturday. That's barring an extension, of course. The agreement was initially struck in late July. It opened Ukrainian grain exports through the Black Sea for the first time since Russia closed navigation when they launched a full invasion. The deal is seen as the most significant diplomatic achievement since the invasion. It staved off a looming global food crisis, given Ukraine and Russia's massive roles in foodstuff exports, particularly for developing nations. Now, while Moscow did briefly halt its participation in the deal after claiming that Ukraine attacked naval vessels in Sevastopol, Russia rejoined the agreement shortly after. UN-backed efforts to extend the deal have so far yielded no results, but, according to Bloomberg, Russia is expected to agree to a deal extension. The leaders of Francophone nations will meet in Jerba, Tunisia on Saturday. They're gathering for a biannual summit to discuss the global economy, politics, and promoting French culture and language. The theme of the summit is connectivity and diversity. Tunisian authorities have even constructed a village in Jerba just for the event. French President Emmanuel Macron is expected to attend and will meet with Armenian Prime Minister Nicole Pashinyan on the sidelines. That, after Macron participated in a peace summit between Pashinyan and Azerbaijani President Ilham Aliyev in October. Now, the summit comes in the context of rising anti-French sentiment in some Francophone African nations, including Burkina Faso and Mali, after their respective military coups. The Secretary General of the organization, which puts on the summit, said the anti-French sentiment isn't a rejection of the French language, rather an affirmation that young people in Francophone nations don't want to belong to a unified former colonial identity. Soccer fans around the globe will have something to look forward to on Sunday when the World Cup gets underway in Qatar. The month-long international soccer competition will begin with the home country playing against Ecuador. The FIFA World Cup takes place every four years in a different country. Qatar won a bid to host the tournament back in 2010, beating the United States and Australia and becoming the first Arab Muslim nation to host the competition. Of course, the nomination itself was controversial. It came amid reports of soccer officials being paid by Qatar to support the nomination. Many also argue the country's size makes it difficult to welcome the hundreds of thousands of people expected to travel to the tournament. Additionally, the event usually takes place in the summer months, but had to be moved to November and December due to Qatar's climate. The biggest criticism, however, has been Qatar's poor record on human rights, given homosexuality is a punishable crime in the country. Now, the U.S. team has announced it will add the rainbow flag to their logo in solidarity with the LGBTQ community during the tournament. Denmark's team will also wear shirts that criticize Qatar's human rights record, with a black option to bring attention to the migrant workers who reportedly died during construction work on stadiums. And then there's Britain's foreign minister, who has sparked controversy by urging gay fans to show respect to Qatar. Meanwhile, some reports have emerged of gay people being detained ahead of the tournament. Finally, the competition ends on December 18th with Argentina, Brazil, and Belgium 
among some of the favorites to win. Russian President Vladimir Putin will visit Armenia next week. He'll meet with Armenian President Nicole Pashinyan on Tuesday before attending the Collective Security Treaty Organization Conference in Yerevan on Wednesday. The visit comes in the wake of September's violent clashes along the Armenian-Azerbaijan border. Those clashes left nearly 300 soldiers dead on either side, but they also seem to precipitate a step towards peace. Putin, Pashinyan, and Azeri President Ilham Aliyev met in Russia on October 31st and agreed on a prolonged ceasefire and further negotiations. Russia has traditionally acted as a mediator in the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, and their troops have been deployed as peacekeepers there since 2020. The Russians also maintain close military ties and assistance with Armenia in order to check the power of Turkish-backed Azerbaijan, but only to an extent. When Armenia asked the member states of the CSTO to intervene on their side in 2020 and 2022, they were politely rebuffed. Now, at least 100,000 Russian citizens have moved to Armenia since the start of Russia's full invasion of Ukraine in order to avoid being conscripted. Putin and Pashinyan are likely to address this exodus and perhaps announce a shift in immigration requirements. Putin will also gauge Pashinyan's willingness to surrender territory to Azerbaijan in future peace agreements. Finally, the CSTO meeting on Wednesday could prompt discussion on Russia's obligation to intervene in conflicts of member states, as fellow member Kyrgyzstan was similarly denied assistance in their recent border clashes with Tajikistan. Overall, Putin will likely maneuver to keep Armenia firmly within Russia's sphere of influence as Ukraine fights to leave and as American influence grows in Armenia. Last item for this forecast is on the recent missile strike in Poland's border area. For more on that, I spoke with fellow editor Joe Vieira. Hi, Joe. Nice to have you back on the podcast. It's been a while. Well, Jimmy, I had so much fun last week. I just couldn't help but return for another round. Well, I know you were covering Europe yesterday when the news broke of an explosion in Poland, and I'm hoping you can catch us up on what all went down. Yes. So late Tuesday local time, reports began to come out of Poland of an explosion that left two people dead in an area about five miles from the country's border with Ukraine. Uh, The cause was initially unclear, and obviously you don't want to jump the gun on this sort of thing. But over the course of the night, both the media reports and statements from government officials settled on this being a fallen missile. That raised a whole host of other questions. Most importantly, whose missile was it? And was there any intent? Uh, Was this a deliberate strike? And if it was, does NATO get involved, seeing as this was the first instance of an alliance territory being struck since the start of the Ukraine-Russia conflict? This had the potential to signify a major escalation, but luckily that's not how things ultimately played out. So it wasn't a Russian missile? No. So at this time, the word from both Polish and NATO officials is that despite the initial fears, it wasn't. Uh, Preliminary findings have suggested the missile was likely launched by Ukrainian air defenses during a period of intense Russian shelling and was not an intentional strike on Polish territory. What was the reaction to that news? So for his part, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has expressed doubts that the missile was fired by his forces and says his country should be privy to the ongoing investigation. Uh, Meanwhile, the Kremlin says it didn't conduct any missile strikes within 20 miles of the border. Then you have NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg, who says Russia, quote, bears ultimate responsibility, even if it wasn't their missile, 
And that's something we've kind of heard from other world leaders since as well, who are basically saying this missile fire wouldn't be happening at all if Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine in the first place. Well, I guess, how do things stand now? Yeah, so in spite of the dispute over responsibility, it appears unlikely that this incident will trigger a significant escalation in the conflict or any notable NATO intervention at this time. Uh, Poland has declined to invoke Article 4, which would request consultations among the full group of an issue of territorial integrity or security. Uh, In the meantime, this all happened while the G20 summit was taking place in Indonesia, and a joint declaration issued Wednesday by members of the bloc, quote, deplores in the strongest terms the aggression by the Russian Federation against Ukraine and called for a complete and unconditional withdrawal. Well, Joe, we are running short on time today, so I think we'll leave it there. But I thank you for getting us all caught up to speed. Thanks, as always, for having me. Take care. As always, thank you for listening to The Factual Forecast. We publish our forward-looking podcast and newsletter each Thursday to help you get a jump start on the week ahead. Please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcasts. We'd love it if you'd consider telling a friend about us. Today's episode was produced with work from Factual Editors Alex Moore, Sophie Perrier, Jess Fino, and Owen Bonnerts. Our interview featured editor Joe Vieira, and our music comes courtesy of Andrew Gospi. Until next time, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or events we've missed, Drop us a note by emailing hello at factual.com.